Today, we're joined by Per Holknecht. Per is a well-known entrepreneur, designer, and speaker. Uh, he got his start and uh, as a professional skateboarder in the 80s and 90s, before then transitioning into the fashion industry, where he's perhaps best known for uh, founding the iconic Swedish fashion brand, Odd Molly. Welcome to the show, Per. Well, thank you. Um, what an introduction. <laughs> uh, you've had a, you, you have a really broad kind of background. You've been doing a lot of things. Um, maybe one place to start is just, I'd be curious to know, how did you get a start as, how did you uh, get into skateboarding and, and turn that into a job? You know, it's, it's interesting. Once you get to a somewhat high age, I'm 62 today. And uh, when you when you trace life backwards and you and you try to figure out how did it all become the way it became, uh, it doesn't uh, point back to great decisions. It's just uh, making chance your opportunity. But I, you know, I have I've had success in in, in a variety of fields. Um, skateboarding is one of them, and skateboarding in a sense, turned into um, streetwear and streetwear turned into fashion and fashion turned into that. So it's an all meandering experience. But um, it, it was back in 1978. I was 18 years old and me and a friend of mine, we were fishing for crawfish in the middle of the night, uh, drinking uh, homemade alcohol and, and getting drunk. And he said to me, you know, how about if you and I, I'm from a city called Fallen. He said, uh, how about if you and I, we discover the world and we begin with the United States. This town is too small for us, which is, ever, you know, not very humble. And, and I said to him, sure, let's go. So the next day, it was a big thing to go to the United States back in those days. And, and uh, the next day we bought tickets uh, on behalf of our parents, uh, gratefully so. And before I left Sweden to go to California for the for America for the first time in my life, I, I told my friends I was going. It, it's, a, it's a normal thing to do. And one guy said to me, you know, one, once you're in, in the United States, why don't you buy me one of those skateboards and bring back home to me? And I... I said to him, you know, what is it? I, I don't know what it is. And he explained to me, you know, it's, it's about seven pounds and 70 centimeters long. And it's a very clumsy thing to carry around. And he said, would you do me that favor? And the normal thing for me would be to say, uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. It's going to be a hell ride anyways. But I, I decided to say yes to him. So I flew to, Cal I flew to uh, Seattle. And on the first day of my seven-week journey, I went into a, a department store and I bought his skateboard. And, um, you know, I didn't get rid of the problem. I, I caused a seven-week problem because now I had to carry that piece around for seven weeks. But I got curious. This was a this was a undiscovered uh, piece of art for me. And uh, so I tried it. And, and it turned out I had a pretty good feeling for that little toy. So pretty soon I had worn his down. So I had to buy myself another one or, you know, him another one and keep the first one. And and suddenly I, I carried uh, two skateboards around uh, the American West Coast for seven weeks. But that's, uh, that's how my life changed. And, and my skateboarding turned into a lifestyle of passion. And, and I wanted to discover, invent new tricks, name new tricks. And it turned into uh, the connection of music. And then it turned into the, the connection of skateboarding and music into uh, streetwear. And something that we wanted to identify as our own uh, style. And since the industry didn't supply the style we had to invent it ourselves and and so I asked my mother back in 1979 fall of 79 I asked my mom to teach me how to sew I wanted to make my own pants uh, for skateboarding 
And that's how, how I, uh, in 2009, received the award for Fashion Designer of the Year. That's where it all started. And so, you know, I did not receive my award of um, Corporate Founder of the Year or Concept Designer of the Year or, or any of my 17 this or that of Sweden of the Year. I didn't receive those awards. I didn't make those awards when I received them. I made those when I made those little tiny decisions way back in the days. And that's why I try to tell kids today, you know, once you're young, do a lot of stuff because you will understand by the time you're 62 like me um, why it all went the way it did. The way it did. So it's all, it's all uh, making chance and taking the opportunity of chance and living with an open mindset having your receiver at on, not off, and listening in, because we're so busy uh, eating uh, mental fast food today that we don't see things anymore. But if you decide to take notice, and you don't have to be creative, or you don't have to be an entrepreneur to take notice, all you have to do is to make that decision. That's a long answer to a short question. I think that's a, that's a perfect answer. And it, it, it sounds like the ability to take risk and the courage to be different has really been kind of a theme for you in all the different ende endeavors you've had. Yeah, and, and I was lucky to, you know, my father said to me, make your mistakes while you're young, while you don't have mortgage on a house or you're not risking your kids. Make the, the mistakes while you can afford to make your mistakes. And <clears throat> because once you make mistakes, you discover that the fear of making mistakes was uh, mistaken because... Making mistakes isn't dangerous. It doesn't wreck your life. It makes it difficult for a little short period of time, but you will have something that nobody else has, and that's the, the, the tool for working forward. That's such a good good attitude to have. Um, and obviously, yes, as you start doing like risky things like you've done starting new companies, it involves a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and, and it's also like this. You know, I, I'm now uh, starting up my 44th business, and uh, along the way of building 43 different companies in different fields, I've also learned what works and what doesn't work. And I, oh, now, now I, you know, I can prevent mistakes from having made so many mistakes. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm an, I fly small airplanes, and my teacher once said to me, you know, he says, uh, once you're on the runway and you give full throttle and you get clear from the tower, um, put up an imaginary line, and, and if, if your plane hasn't taken off by the time you reach this line, pull back. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the lettuce. And, and uh, that's sort of how I try to work. And, and because pride is, is a great enemy of, of courage. Because if you, if you connect pride with courage, you're going to fail. You, you're not going to dare to, 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 uh, to get off on time. But you've got you to gotta at least give full throttle and understand when it's time to skip, you know, jump ship. I think there's probably only a handful of people in the world who have started as many businesses as you have. So yeah. what are some mistakes uh, or things that you've learned that you would tell a younger Pat as he's starting his first couple of businesses? Well, I think that now we're down to trust because um, the, people uh, believe that uh, being alone is strong. Um, you have to team up with people. And no matter how much you love people creatively, as much as you do in, in, in a love relation, um, you want to build your foundation on a secure platform. So, um, of tall uh, tr treaties, uh, tr you know, uh, 
to build companies on security and safety. It sounds really boring, but you gotta make sure that you have all the, the signatures in the right pieces of paper as far as the mutual um, sacrifices and so forth. Uh, the other thing is all the you know immaterial rights that people really don't understand the, the value of. Um, but um, I don't know, I forgot your question. I talked too much. <laughs> Not at all. We talked uh, before offline and you mentioned immaterial rights as one of the really big important thing that you think is overlooked. Could you go into that a little bit? Like what is that, oh. what, what is the problem? It's quite simple because people today, especially kids, they think that immaterial rights is having your own URL safe, that you pay your, you know, your yearly 20 euros or whatever. Uh, immaterial rights is, is pretty much, if you have a, unu uh, a unique innovation, you need to have a patent. If you have a unique brand, you have to have brand security, brand safety, you have to register your brand as to name and to trademark uh, figure. Uh, because one day somebody's going to approach your company if you're successful and say, hey, you've done a good job. I want to buy your company. And you and you go home and you celebrate. And, and the next day you get their questionnaire and they're going to ask you, so tell, tell us about your, your brand. And, and, and you go, what are you talking about? And, and the value of co your company is going to decrease by 75 percent if you, if you don't have your, your rights down. So, so get it right from the beginning. And if you don't understand it, ask somebody for help. There are, you know, in Sweden, we have something called Almi. You can ask them, what do I do now to make sure that, you know, nobody rips off my brand or nobody steals my idea or whatever. But it, it, it's a lot of the footwork you got to do that's boring. The fun stuff begins once you have the footwork down. Yeah, but it's so, uh, as you're saying, it's like very crucial to get those boring pieces done because otherwise you're exposed to a lot of risk. That could oh, very much so, very much so. I mean, as an example, you know, if you... <clears throat> if you if you manufacture or if you produce in the Far East and you have your brand safe, let's say within the EU, and 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 uh, the manufacturer has a cousin, and they sit down and talk, and the cousin registers your brand in China before you expect that they will ship your final production to Finland or Sweden or Europe. Uh, the customs are going to say, no, you can't get this out of this country. You don't own this brand in China. And, and then you're in trouble. And uh, four days later, you will get a letter from the cousin saying, I will let go of your brand um, uh, if you pay me 50,000 euro, which is a normal amount uh, for, for brand jacking. And, and that's very common. It's, it's something that when it happens, companies don't talk loud about it because they're ashamed. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's such a good, that's a, such a good and valuable piece of advice. What other things kind of mistakes do you see companies make when they're trying to build, build their brands? Um, I think that a very, I mean, to me, business is built on relations. It's relations to your partner. It's the relation to your family that's going to support you in your work. But it's also relations to your supplier, to your manufacturer. It's relations to your uh, customer. And you build your company on building relations to your customer for, for, the, for the greater part. And while chasing for new customers, never, ever forget to entertain the ones that you already have. Because if you take something for granted, you become very close to losing it. How do you see, how would you, how did you go about 
not taking existing customers for granted, keeping them engaged um, as you're trying to build your businesses? Well, let's take Odd for, for an example. I had business in 46 countries. Um, I have I had agents in, in, in like 30 countries. I, I could visit 30 countries in, in eight days. I would travel. I would go see people. I would bring homemade bread and we'll sit down. I would send them postcards from my holidays. Uh, when they were in their car coming home from a sales tour, I would call them and say, great job, job well done. And I would invite everybody to celebrate. I would not pass anybody from the warehouse to the front desk to the executives. I would treat everybody equal. And I would make sure that everybody would feel that they were better than me. I had an assistant. She was my assistant for eight years. I trained her to become better than me. And one morning on a Monday meeting, I, 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 I gathered all my 67 employees and I said, I, I just want you all to know that from now on, Jenny is your boss. I will retire because she is now better than I am. I have, we had I have switched our seats over the weekend. So if you if you you know if you let go of your power position and you only have as your goal to make everybody else fantastic, then it's going to turn out to be profitable for yourself in the long run. In the end, that's uh, that's an incredible piece of advice. Uh, I think probably quite difficult often because of ego to really let go and to let other people shine. But it seems like that was a key to success for you. You know what happens when you become successful, especially for the first time? <clears throat> some, some business magazine may write that you're successful, you're now rich, you have status, you have power. Uh, the first thing that happens is that people will stop um, talking back at you. People will admit or agree with you in whatever you say because they're afraid to lose their uh, connection with you. So you gain um, involuntary power. And that's a very dangerous moment because you suddenly think that you're better than everybody else. And that becomes a drug. You want more of this. And the more of this that you want, the more you're going to step on people's toes and you're going to start undermining your own business. If you as an executive and your company wins an award, for instance, Make sure that the, peop that the people farthest down on the food chain are the ones that to, to go up on stage and receive that award. I have an example. In 2002, I, I won an award called Creative Excellence of the World Award in New York for Coca-Cola. It's a huge award. It's something gigantic to win. The problem was that this advertising agency that I was working for at the time, 220 people, the executives flew to New York and received my award. I wasn't even told that I had won this award until four years later. And uh, in that time, of course, this agency with 220 people was bankrupt. Uh, it, 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 it's a classic. Yeah. So really making sure to empower and to give recognition to everyone has been kind of it's the key. Especially the people at the bottom of the food chain, because they are the ones that are the easiest people to improve delivery from. Because people in the top of the pyramid, they are already going at being 93% of their possible best. But the people at the bottom of the food chain, at the bottom triangles of the pyramid, maybe they're going at 29% of their uh, delivery best. They are the easiest ones to improve. And if you work on them, you can triple their deliverance and you don't have you don't even have to hire more people for the same output 
in addition to to kind of empowering and recognizing people um did what were some other things for instance having was it having a clear vision that you're kind of all working towards what were some other the keys to unlock really high performance from your teams you know i i, I never worked with long-term strategy perhaps I, I worked with two parallel strategies one is the future and one is the strategy for now but what was the most important thing for me was that everybody understood what we were all about because i didn't want my agent in italy to be out to dinner and somebody asks them you know tell me about odd molly I wouldn't want them to tell them the wrong thing. I wanted everybody to speak the same language that we were all united together. And and uh I think that coming back to and letting the story evolve with time but always communing communicating internally because if you have an organization that is too vertical your communication will travel upwards or downwards and along the way it will change its shapes its contours you have to make sure that everybody speaks the same language so keep it simple communicate it very often let it be variable but always make sure that everybody understands and speaks the same lingo no matter who they speak with if it's a, if it's a manufacturer or somebody in the street or a journalist do you think that in the case of Ford Molly and your businesses you are obviously you have a a strong passion for what you're doing and you're a, a, the founder leader of the company um uh-huh. do you think there's an issue with with some companies where you don't have that founder you don't have that strong uh anyone who can really kind of talk about the vision of the company is that a problem if so how do you solve it i i i think so because you have to understand uh that there is there is always a time of growing a business where you go from being the passionate few or the passionate one or the passionate nine up to the next level which is where you step up and you have an organization sheet you know with with ovals with arrows and 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 here's law here's logistics here's economics here's sales here's marketing here's blah 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 and 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 people are no longer names but they are now titles and 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 that's a very sensitive point of a company that's exactly where the founder may not be the person to do that but the founder should have a position on the side to always be there to remind everybody in the new organization of why we are here what gives us the right to be in the marketplace because once you grow a greater business and you take in external uh, boards external ceos they come in and they don't understand the background they don't they don't understand the reason for existence they don't understand the reason for market acceptance and you have to really hammer that down all the way but the person the founder i don't believe that the founder should be at the top of the pyramid they should be on the side of the pyramid once you grow bigger but you have to be very careful because once you grow bigger it it becomes a chase for money it becomes a chase for net profit and growth percentage and and when you start chasing numbers instead of chasing success that's when you are really in danger because if you achieve success the numbers will come but if if you chase the numbers success success may fade and how would you how would you define success typically is it customer satisfaction is it new products employee satisfaction what are the kind of things you focus on most i measure it in many ways uh, mostly i i 
I measure success in, in percentages as to um, how many people quit their job. How many of my current 1,200 customers, uh, how many have I lost while building my 1,200 customers? You know, I built up to 67 employees in, it was it 10 years, and, and, um, and we had a market value of over a billion Swedish kroner. Um, only, throughout this time, only one person uh, decided to quit, Johanna. And, and I remember her calling me two weeks later, and she said, you know, Per, um, is it okay if I come back home again? She didn't say, if I come back, if I come back home again. So if you can keep your staff, you keep your manufacturers, you keep your customers, and you have some money in the bank so that you are secure and safe, that you can pay the paychecks and evolve to the next level. Success is not the car. Success is not the watch. Success is not the headline in the, in the business magazine. Success is not status. Success is happy employees that can feed their families on Friday. I think that's a really good reminder because entrepreneurs and people who build companies tend to tend to focus a lot on generating new business, chasing growth, like you said, and it's easy to forget about the people who the people, the employees, and the customers who who created that success in the beginning and start taking yeah. that for granted. That's what I normally say. You know, in every success that I've had in my life, I've had somebody to thank, and if in every failure of my life. It's all been my own fault. That's a that's a great attitude to have. Um, I want to kind of take it back to the early days of Odd Molly when you were just getting started. Um, you were obviously you didn't have a lot of resources, no brand recognition, um, no no money, no money. No money. Okay, so let's start there. How do you I, go about creating a brand I, I without was, money? I was homeless at the time. Okay. So it's 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 difficult to start a business when you're homeless and you live in the woods, especially wintertime in dark Sweden, and to find hope to at least to begin with survive and not die, and and then um, you know fight your 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 way back into the warmth and suddenly out of this dare to uh, plant a seed of of uh, of an idea and push it onto paper and then convince people around you that this is a great idea and then dare to step in where everybody says it's not going to work. Are you crazy? And you do it anyways. It, it, you know, it makes, it makes the so-called success even greater if, if people have told you that they don't believe in you. But, but you know, but um, I, I, um, I, I, I invented a little business model for the, for the fashion industry that didn't require a whole lot of money. We started the company with 30,000 euros. And, and uh, to build a fashion brand that turns, uh, you know, 35 million euros a year, starting with 30,000. It, it, it takes a little bit of a special um, magic. It takes uh, a lot of ingenuity, I would imagine. Um, well, it, I can tell you like this. It takes me 45 seconds. If, if, if you are convincing enough or if you have a network that's strong enough or people around you that's strong enough to help you negotiate with the production units, with the factories, if you're lucky enough to, to negotiate perhaps a 30-day credit, 30-day credit in this case was, was my key because in, uh, what I could do is I could, I, w I, I went out there, I bought samples for say 1,200 Euro, 1200 euros and I went on the road and I, I sold with my samples and, and then I went home and I collected all my orders and then I ordered exactly that from the factories. 
So the factories shipped me uh, after so, such and such long time. And then I had 30 days. And when they shipped me, I flew it home to, to, to rush a little bit. I decreased my mar margins. But I took, um, I, I redistributed my, my shipments to the stores that I'd sold to immediately within these 30 days, ran to the financer or to the bank, sold my invoices at a rate of 1.8%. I got 98.8% uh, or 98.2% back from my invoice money for, for uh, approved customers. So I could pay the factories before the, before the 30 days ran out. For, for this uh, purpose uh, or for, for this project, I actually didn't need growth money. It all came down to negotiating credit with my uh, production unit. Then I, I, I could turn it over and turn it over and turn it over. I doubled my sales twice a year for about uh, eight years. Wow. So it sounds like when you don't have a lot of money, you have to have a lot of great ideas. Yeah. And, and, and it's always like that. If you have a lot of money, you, uh, you know, if, if you have to innovate or if you have to create, if you have a lot of money, you go to an advertising firm and you ask them for help, you know. And they will create something out of their own little egos, and you, and they don't even ask you where, where I come from, what what you know what gave birth to this idea, and and they will invoice you a whole lot of money. But if you have very little money, you can't go to them. You have to think for yourself, and I believe that if you have very little money, you have to think a hell of a lot, and or or think with your heart a hell of a lot. And once you do that, you will come up come up with with a with a flowers, and and uh, if you go to the advertising agencies, you're just going to get fast food. So do you think, clearly in your case, in Odd Molly's case, the fact that it was all genuine um, was a big key to why, how it resonated with people? Yeah, and, and, you know, I had to go back in my own life and ask myself, I looked, you know, I looked myself in the mirror. I said to myself, what made me buy these shoes? Why am I wearing Nikes? What made me buy this shirt? Why am I wearing APC? What made me buy my car, my pinball machine or my television set or whatever? And, and I, I, I try to figure out what made me let down my guard and actually buy their brands. And I try to steal the best ingredients from every brand and inject that into my, to, into my product to make people want to do what I did, actually buy it. So it was all about, like I said earlier, it's all about noticing what's going on around yourself. Take notice. Be attentive. Really be attentive to what's going on. If I see a lady 200 meters over there and she's cold, I will see her. I guarantee you that she is freezing. I will see her. Nobody else will. And I will bring her a blanket. And I'm an entrepreneur, so before it's all over, I will sell her the fucking blanket. But it's all about being attentive, seeing where the opportunity is. Thank you. How have you... Or have you kind of cultivated this mindset of looking for opportunities and paying attention? And how do you do it practically? Are you, were you talking to customers? Were you doing surveys? Were you going to people? You know, it's like this. I don't read books. My last book I read was in 1972. I don't watch television. I have never watched Netflix. I don't consume music. I don't go to shows. I don't go to movies. I don't do anything that's a prefab because I don't want to sit up on the, on the stands and watch the show on stage. I want to step up on life's own stage and let me be in the center of my own movie. So what I do is I simply uh, turn everything off. I go outside and I take notice. 
If something makes somebody happy or me happy, I keep it. If somebody makes somebody unhappy or me unhappy, I keep it. But I flip that card for the better. And I put all these cards in my left inner pocket, my future, you know, golden cards to serve when, 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 when needed. I think that's, uh, that's a great, great piece of advice. Again, I guess it's hard to be creative if you're always consuming. You need to kind of filter. Out yeah, but it, drives, but it drives me crazy because I don't know. <laughs> I, you know. But that, that's also one thing about me. I do have a, an alcohol addiction problem that I have currently under control. But alcohol has, has been a way to switch off my system because it, it's, it's basically never leaving me alone. I'm, I'm too curious about life. And, and uh, so right now I'm just trying to live with the uh, with a, with a roller coaster. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, it definitely can sounds like it can become a burden. I'm glad you're able to to keep it under uh, control. Yeah, um, it seems like one of the keys to your success has been this courage to try things and make mistakes. And you said when you make a mistake, you realize that it wasn't really that bad. You were you were it's not as bad as you think think it was. It, it isn't. It, it it isn't. You know, it it really isn't. As long as you are aware that you you don't have to with pride stand up for something that ain't good or ain't right if you can you know disconnect in time uh making a mistake is nothing but value and uh yeah it's something you can learn learn a lot from and as a matter of fact you know you 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 you, you kind of learn to dig to be in pain um i i i'm a skater you know i've i've broken every bone in my body and and still i try the same trick again you know risking to break my wrist again which I do, and but it, it it's it's a product of having tried, and I admire myself from trying. I can I can go through life and not make one mistake, but that would also mean that I have to do absolutely nothing. And the more mistakes I make, damn it, the more successful I have. So all the scars and broken bones that I have, they're just products of me trying another trick. Exactly, and I I, get, I think it's really especially admirable to continue to be willing to make mistakes, especially as you've had success, because you easily people get a bit of success and some status, you become very afraid of trying something new, where you could yeah. fail uh, yeah. in front of a big you know, audience. I su I've succeeded and failed, succeeded and failed. I've, you know, I've made millions and millions and millions, lost it all, lost it all, built it again, built it again, lost it all, built it again, lost it all. Right now, I'm on a pretty decent level of life. And I'm getting older. And, and I'm beginning to slow down. Um, I don't have the urge to go out there and discover anymore. I've had my compliments. I don't, I don't want to be depending on compliments from others anymore. It's about time to compliment myself and love myself and spend more time with myself. You've, you've certainly had a long and very varied career. Um, yeah, but you know, I'm 62 and I'm, I'm still pretty convinced that I will peak around 75. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So keep the faith. Absolutely. Would, is there any piece of advice you would give to young people who are now looking at, say, let's some of the things you've done, taking a lot of risks, being very creative, building brands? Is there any kind of area that you would well, well, ask to, as, as to As to entrepreneurship, I, I sure have advice. Number one would be go to school, learn the basics of economics, learn the difference between debit and credit. Learn a little bit about Philip Cutler. Uh, and once you have your basic uh, knowledge, it will be a platform for, from you, 
for you to, to use for future analysis and understanding. And once you go into your adventures, whatever you perceive them to be uh, as to uh, selling products or services or whatnot, bring with you uh, three things. Number one, it's going to cost you more than what you think. Number two, it's going to bring in less money than what you expect. Number three, it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than you want it to be. So keep those th three things with you and you may well succeed. But have endurance, uh, understand money, uh, ups and downs. I think that's a great way to, to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you so much, Per, for taking the time to, to come on and share your story so openly. Um, is there any place, if people want to hear more about what you're doing, working on, is there any place online where people can learn more? Well, there's a company that actually s sells cheap education programs with me. And uh, damn it, if I knew what they were called. Um, I should have my phone. Right here. Let me see. We're also, we can put a link to it in the, in the podcast. And do that, do that instead, yeah. because yeah, there's somebody we we recorded an education program about four months ago that is now being uh, released okay it's about it's about team building it's about leadership it's about branding it's about uh, market entry and so forth okay we'll put a link to that and i hope people will check it out because you have a lot to teach when it comes to these things i'm an old guy i'm a scarred guy i've had a great life it's been pleasure and pain but i'm happy to be here and i'm still hungry thank you Thank you so much. And I have no doubt that you're going to peak at 75 or, or maybe even, <laughs> even later. Thank you yeah, so much. Per. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye.